0: Welcome to the Gamers Tavern, episode 33. You know, Ross is going to talk a little bit about this on the show, but he's currently in the process of moving. Uh, he and two of our former guests, Sean Patrick Fannin and Corinne Seabolt, are all moving to Denver. And, you know, moving's not cheap, so they've actually set up a... GoFundMe campaign that's got a lot of great donations from some really awesome game companies. There's reward levels all over the place. There's PDFs, convention passes, GM classes, games run by either Sean or Ross, game design workshops, and a lot more. You can find out more at GoFundMe.com slash BigDenverAdventure. Once again, that's GoFundMe.com slash BigDenverAdventure. Now, normally, this is when I would say, "Grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table." corner. we're going to do something a little bit different now because this isn't a pre-recorded ad. I'm actually doing what's called a live read uh, because we've redone our sponsorship with Audible. Uh, we've aired ads to them before, but this is something really, really special now. Uh, and I know there's a lot of books out there that you've been dying to read. I mean, you want to catch up on Game of Thrones now that the newest season's over. Uh, there's a Dresden Files book that just came out, so you got to catch up on that. We've got books by former guests on there. Darksiders, the Abomination Vault by Ari Marmel. Uh, The Forgotten Realms anthology, Realms of the Dead, with both Richard Baker and Bruce Cordell. And, of course, we've got Richard Lee Byers' entry in the Sundering series, The Reaver. And you can grab one of these books totally Free by going to slash gamers tavern and just sign up for your 30 day free trial of Audible Gold, and you get a free ebook just for signing up. That's audible.com/ gamers tavern. So go ahead and get a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner as we get started here at Gamers Tavern.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode number 33 of the Gamers Tavern podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson,
0: and I'm Daryl Mott Jr.
1: And tonight we have with us a guest uh, who is a friend of mine, uh, Nathan Dowdell. Hi, uh, it's uh, nice to be here. It's it's great to have you join us tonight, Nathan. We're going to talk tonight about killing characters. It's about <laughs> character death. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we have the thing we always do with the guest on the show, especially a new guest like yourself. Uh, we're going to ask you about your gaming character sheet. Uh, so can you tell the listeners who you are and where they might know you from
2: and do it in the framework of a character sheet? Well, I might as well start with experience. I've been gaming in various forms for most of my life. I studied wargaming at the age of seven and role playing not that long after, kicking it off with uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which I actually you know, the original version which I ended up GMing first. I've still to this day never actually played it. Now this is the one with the guy with the black and white mohawk on the cover. This oh, it's out on the the version on the the printing that I've got, it's a full color cover. But yeah, it's the the Troll Slayer leaping towards.
1: No, 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 no. There's a the 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 Pit Fighter is in color, but his mohawk is like a zebra. It's black you and know, white. It's been so long since I've actually seen my copy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. We we know what you're talking about. That's the yes, important. Thing. Yeah, it's first edition. You know, the the old out uh, there yeah, from the eighties, I believe. Since then, I've GM'd more than I've played. Uh, there are several games out there that I've run into the ground and never actually played on the other side of the screen. So I'm a GM much more than I am a player, and that kind of grew into writing and developing from that. The question is, Nathan, are you an elf? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, as much as I've had fondness for them over the years, I couldn't get away with the leggings. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, so what is the things that people might know you from that is out there in the, uh, the wild
2: of gaming? Probably it's going to be the various 140,000 games that uh, I've contributed over the, over the years. I started out with Xenos player characters in Rogue Trader, and highlights of it include the core rule books for Only War and Black Crusade. If I remember correctly, you're pretty much the expert on all things
1: 40k when it comes to orcs.
2: I ended up as that, yes. I'm still not entirely (laughs) sure how. Uh, I've always been much more of an Eldar fan. I ended up basically taking the reins on the orcs for a few uh, Rogue Trader books, but the The nearest I got to dabbling with the Eldar was a little bit of background in Edge of the Abyss and the Dark Eldar player characters when those finally arrived. Interesting.
1: So, if you had to say like one thing you wish you could have gotten a chance to do with the Eldar, what would it be?
2: Uh, I wouldn't have minded a chance to do yeah, Eldar Corsairs and Eldar Outcasts in Rogue Trader. Oh, that would be cool. That would have been cool, and yeah, you know, I'm I'm still a little bit sad I never got the opportunity. Yeah, whose whose fault is that anyway? What
1: kind of hack did they have in charge of that? <laughs> Uh, so we now know what your gaming character sheet is like, although I don't really know what level you are. I'm going to guess probably pretty high level though. I'm going to, I'm going to say probably like rank four or five. Now we're going to talk about what we've been playing lately. Uh, why don't we start with Daryl? Daryl, what have you been playing lately?
0: I just moved into a new place across town. Uh, I don't know if you can hear kind of the roominess of my voice right now, but I'm kind of in an ad hoc setup right now. Uh, I haven't gotten any diffusion up, so that's why I sound a little bit roomy. I haven't had time to do a damn thing.
1: (laughs) Uh, What about you, Nathan? What have you been playing lately?
2: Of late, it's been a lot of little one-shots and things like that. Um, My work schedule became hectic for the last six months and I haven't been able to get any consistent nights off that lined up with any of, with, uh, any of my normal uh, groups. So it's been a few bits of Marvel heroic roleplay over, um, you know, on uh, Play by Forum, dabbling a little bit in uh, Fate and 13th Age, and most recently uh, a bit of playtest work for Mutant Chronicles. Now you're one of the developers
1: on Mutant Chronicles, is that right? I am, yes, yeah. And uh, what are you, what particular part of that are you in charge of?
2: I've uh, well, given me piles of background to work with, you know, updating and refresh. We're, we're going through it, updating and refreshing and extrapolating a lot of the background. I've been tasked with uh, dealing with the Brotherhood as well as various rules that relate to them, such as the the arts that you know their psychic powers that they use.
1: Now, for people who are not really familiar with uh, Mutant
2: Chronicles, the Brotherhood are kind of the bad guys, aren't they? It does depend on his perspective, but that's not one I've uh, encountered. Brotherhood are pretty much the, the church militant of the setting. Uh, oh, okay, I'm getting them mixed up with... Uh, the Dark Legion. With, with the, with the Dark Legion, I totally am,
1: you're right. So, no, the Brotherhood are not the bad guys, yeah. they're actually the good guys, okay. Well, you know
2: certain point of view. Uh, uh, Well-intentioned extremists, I believe, uh, TV shows would (laughs) call them. (laughs) Uh, I always uh, was a big fan of Cybertronic uh,
1: for the Mutant Chronicles. We've
2: got some interesting stuff going on there, but as that's not my area of expertise, and obviously, yeah, yeah, it's still in development, I will... uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, we we know you can't talk about it.
1: All right, uh, so uh, what I've been playing lately, I have also been... Kind of getting things together for a big change here. Uh, there's a, there's a possibility that I could be, uh, leaving Texas very soon. I'll, I really will honestly find out, like, this week, like, what's gonna happen to me in the future. It's really stressful. <laughs> so there's a possibility I might be leaving Texas, uh, really soon. Um, and on top of that, uh, we've got a thing, um, Daryl and I are actually gonna be at a convention this weekend called Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas. Mm hmm. And it's going to be actually the first time Daryl and I will meet face to face, so that's kind of exciting. Yep.
0: Um, and you you may have heard some of the little things. I'm not sure if we're going to do a full episode or if we're going to do little vignettes that we're recording on site there. But yeah, it's to, it's the first time Ross and I are in the same physical location. I want to get as much on tape as possible.
1: <laughs> it will be it will be cool. In addition to that, I have been playing Arduin. Arduin, bloody Arduin, is the name of the setting uh, system, and Arduin of course is the setting. And, uh, you know, true to form, uh, last game we actually had a TPK. Um, the entire party died. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, You know, well, it, it leads us right into tonight's topic, though, which is all about character death. So another thing we like to do here on the Gamers Tavern is we like to ask for your tavern tales, which are memorable stories about gaming. Now, normally we do this as, like, a memorable die roll, but tonight we're going to do something a little special. Nathan, we're going to ask you for a memorable player character death that happened in one of your games
2: there are a few uh, I think everybody's got their, uh, their own laundry list of uh, characters they've slain to be honest I think the most memorable one is probably uh, it, it wasn't quite a total party kill but it was very very near to it and it was completely not my fault
0: <laughs> that's sure. what we always like to hear <laughs>
2: Uh, this was a few editions ago. It was a Star Wars role-playing game. One of the D20 versions. Because that's what I had access to at the time. Um, set during the dark times between the two trilogies. Because that's, I think there's a lot of potential for that era for game, for interesting gaming. The group... Split almost completely down the middle as to whether or not they wanted to continue aiding the rebels or join in, or, or side with the empire. <laughs> um, it came to blows, <laughs> then it came to shots, then it oh came no. to thermal detonators. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, it wasn't their best decision to have this dispute inside the reactor. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> And I think the only person that survived was uh, only did so because he wasn't actually present for the session. <laughs> wow! <laughs> that I think that, that I think is the most memorable one. Uh, there have been a few, you know, big, grand, dramatic ones, but I think for sheer randomness, that one takes it. Uh, what about you, Daryl? Do you have a memorable player character death?
0: One I'm kind of saving for something special. That one's my favorite one ever. Uh, but I do have a good one that what had happened was I pulled off a little trick that I've always wanted to do as a DM and that was having the player character mole in the party and uh, it, what it was is uh, this guy he, he and his wife uh, the work schedule had rearranged and he didn't have time with his family so he had to drop out of the session but he came in for one last hurrah and they were going after um, I want to say it's uh, Lissa is the, uh, the niece of Count von uh, Strad von Zarovich in Ravenloft, mm-hmm. and they That's were going right. up. Yeah, they were going up against her, raiding her in this little manner she had brought up. And uh, of course, the place was full of traps. And he turned on the party, started attacking him. He was the like pure DPS guy at the time, so he was wailing on him until the mage managed to push him right in the way of this like three step trap. So he ended up getting slammed with a ten foot by ten foot cinder block. That sent him landing thirty feet below onto a set of stairs that turned into a slide that ejected him directly into a two hundred foot deep um, hole in the ground. At the bottom of it was a anti magic aura, and the entire walls were greased, so he starved to death.
1: <laughs> wow!
0: Hey, listen uh, to and screw around, man.
1: That is that's interesting. Um, I have a story I could tell really quick. Um, I was playing Deadlands and I happened to be playing a character who was a gambler and I got into a, we, we decided like the, the, the party was just sort of, um, drifting, you know, it was one of those times where there wasn't a lot going on. I think the GM might've taken a break or something along those lines. And, uh, I, I decided in character, I would start like see if anybody wanted to gamble. So the, uh, the guy who was playing the gunfighter says, Oh, okay, sure. I'll gamble with you. Uh, I don't have a lot of money. And I said, that's okay. You know, we started playing and I ended up taking all his money. And I said, well, let's play, let's do another game. And he says, well, I don't have anything to bet. And I'm like, well, you can bet your soul. Just, you know, I don't know why I said it. I was just, I was trying to like tune into that whole <laughs> horror vibe, you know? And he's like, he thought about it and he goes, okay. And that guy, and he said, I bet my soul. And you know, for, for, for the two just normal guys in Deadlands, it didn't mean anything, right? We were just, we just played. You would just played another hand, and I won, and that was that. And then uh, we we went on, and then I uh, my character actually got killed. Um, but in in uh, it, I'm not going to dwell on on how he died. I'm going to dwell on the fact that in Deadlands, when you die, you can actually come back as a, what's called a harrowed, which is like an undead cowboy. And uh, the way it works is you have to draw a certain card from the deck, and if you don't draw that certain card, you're you're just dead, right? Well, I drew a card from the deck and I was just dead. But I looked at the GM and I'm like, what happens if I have another soul to use? (laughs) And the GM was like, what do you mean? And I explained that I had won a, I had won a game for this other guy's soul. And he goes, that's interesting. Sure. (laughs) Draw another card. And wouldn't you knew it? I draw, on the second draw, I, I actually became harrowed. Nice. Yeah, it was, uh, that's a, that's a bizarre story, but that's, that's how it happened. And we have a new arrival into the Gamers Tavern this evening. It's uh, a friend of mine, Lee Langston. Hey, Ross. Hi, Lee. Uh, wh- why don't you tell our listeners about who you are and where they might know you from in terms of your gaming character sheet?
3: Well, my gaming character sheet would start back in 1978, which began with, uh, historical wargaming, which led to Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, has been a, uh, constant part of my life in all forms since then.
1: So, so your character sheet, your race is also your class?
3: Uh, pretty much. (laughs) Gamer, gamer, it's the race and class. So yeah. But yeah, I do miniature games, board games, role playing games. Not famous in the industry yet, although I can honestly say that I am in the part-time gods book by Third Eye Games on page 196 as Lee Langston, the god of games.
4: Nice. Uh, (laughs)
3: Other than, other than that, they may know me from role play DNA. I was one of the founding members of that particular podcast and uh, stepped down uh, just about six months ago, just due to time constraints and problems with real life getting in the way.
1: Isn't there uh, a Savage Worlds product or two that you're also involved in?
3: Um, I've done a lot of playtesting, and I'm working on a project right now. The licenses are not in place yet, but as soon as I have that, um, I will let you know so we can talk more about it.
1: All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, so tonight's topic is going to be about character death, and we just were asking our guests to give us a quick story of a memorable character death. Could you maybe give us one?
3: Well, I, w- I would have to say back in first edition d and I had a character who was one of the old school first edition bards who ended up with, uh, inflicted with lycanthropy, and that caused a mental break for him, and eventually he hung himself. That's dark yes yes it was and that was actually my very first care actual character death wow yeah okay uh <laughs> maybe not the tone you were going for well, a little, you know
1: uh memorable certainly uh, absolutely may- maybe in the, the the worst way but memorable <laughs> yeah nathan and and i and daryl and now you we're going to talk about character death let's uh let's define our term a little bit more um Nathan, what's a good way to define character death in a role-playing game?
2: It is one of those things that does very, very, very heavily on what, what type of game you're playing. If it's, if it's something very old-school, character death is kind of the ultimate status condition. It's the yeah, the end point of the character once you hit, once you hit zero hit points. At that point, you know, replace the character. But if you're playing something a bit more narrative, then death obviously has significantly more weight because there's a lot more built up in terms of the character's identity. Not necessarily something to be avoided more, but something to be worked around with more consideration. Okay, that's pretty good. Um,
1: Lee, you've played a lot of games where characters can die, quote-unquote, but can come back from the dead, right?
3: Yes, I've also done several... Uh, that, that don't have that particular... I, I've done, I played a lot of games. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, I mean, it, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that that is, like, a type of character death is one where it's really not permanent, where it's just, like...
3: Sure. Car- character, de- character death in a setting like d d where you can have, uh, uh, you know, a character resurrected, it's still a character death. Um, uh, the LARP that I play locally... Um, you have uh, the ability to resurrect a certain number of times. It's not necessarily a fixed number, but it's random. So every time your character dies, you know, there is the possibility of it being permanent. But it's the same thing with, if I remember correctly from D&D, I mean, a, a resurrection is not a guarantee that it'll work. So, I mean, even in those situations, a character death is uh, not necessarily, you know, fixable.
1: Right, but it is it is not necessarily final either, and that's kind of that the, is true. The key that is very true. Now, I would I would go so far, you know, Nathan, maybe agree or disagree with this, but um, I would actually go so far as to extend that a little bit out to things like maybe Star Wars, where you can sort of come back as a Jedi spirit, or uh, games where you can come back as a ghost, that kind of a thing.
2: Yeah, I think there's there is room in the definition for Earth character death, for it. It's a major transformative event it's not necessarily the end of the character but certainly it's the end of the character as you know it
1: well I'm gonna throw I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of put a, a box around that and say let's call that temporary death mm. before we talk about some of the other types of death because what you were just saying there the transformative event I think it's a very important point mm-hmm. um, so Daryl um, if you were if you you, you had actually recently had uh, an experience with this, Where you have a character who has a particular concept, but if that character is no longer capable of actualizing that concept, if he is somehow gone through some kind of horrible trauma or he's gotten changed in some way where he's no longer just... he he, That concept is just no longer possible. Isn't that basically the same thing as death?
0: It kind of is in a way because... They're no longer playing the character the same way. And that works for systems where it's like, okay, you come back as a ghost, you come back as a Herod, you come back as something else. But it's still not quite the same thing because it is still the same character, does have the same history as that character did before.
1: Right. I'm just going to say, like, I think that players and, you know, don't hesitate to jump in here, Nathan or Lee. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to put out there that I think a lot of players, though, when they start a game, like a role playing game, they have a concept in their mind of this character. And if, if something happens where that character just cannot be that concept anymore, that's basically the same as killing him. They just would rather not play him anymore. Um, like if I'm a swashbuckler, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm a swashbuckler in Nathan's game. And I get a hand cut off. Well, I'm not really that good of a swashbuckler with one hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it you, makes you, it a little could, difficult. You could let to use the other
2: yeah, I, mean, no, but I, I have seen a similar situation than that. I, one of my early fantasy roleplay campaigns, the Elven Archer managed to lose one arm and get the other one broken by a mob of cultists. The, the, the character was swiftly retired after that.
1: Right. So i mean, saying that's, that's essentially... We're, we're essentially talking about the same thing as killing the character, even though he isn't technically dead. So I want to throw a box around this one and call it a concept death, or concept kill, if you will.
3: Yeah, it's entirely possible for a character to end up being retired either due to um, um, the, the game itself going in a direction that the character wasn't, you know, fit to be, um, you know, put into the storyline or, you know, through role play has become obsolete for the storyline Um, as as well as the situation where he's talking about where, you know, you lose an arm and a hand and, you know, well, now what are you going to do? Well, maiming is like the
1: most common term I've I've seen for that, but I've Mm -hmm. also I've also just seen I've also just seen situations where you can't your character cannot recover from that, right? Insanity Uh, would be another insanity. Sometimes it's just something so. I don't know. It's like it's it's like putting it's like putting Superman in an S and M club, right? Some things you just don't come back from, right? <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, I don't I don't want to play Superman after that anymore. Well, yeah.
3: <laughs> th- 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 thanks for that, Image Ross. No, I'm pretty sure. You, I'm pretty sure that was an episode of
2: Smallville. Um.
3: <laughs> Actually, I think you're right. <laughs>
0: well, there was a comic book uh, where Superman got brainwashed and did a porn.
1: Yeah, with Big Barda, if I remember right. Yep. Oh my. Uh, let's not talk about that though, because that's <laughs> that's stupid. Um, <laughs> so let's let's talk about the third type of character death. Um, at least, I, in my opinion, I think there's three types, and mm-hmm. the third type of character death is what I, I like to call final death, and this is where you literally just tear up the character sheet. He is dead. There is no coming. There, you know, there's no possibility of coming back from it in any way.
0: This is the kind you get more in the more realistic style settings. There's no resurrection spells. Mm -hmm. There's no if there are ghosts, they're not real people. They're more like reflections and like recordings in a way. So, right, yeah. That this is characters gone, not coming back.
1: Can you guys think of uh, anything else I might have missed, or have any anything else you want to say about those particular types of uh, character death?
3: No, I would have to agree with those. They they all they cover pretty much. They do cover you're... pretty much
2: anything. I, final death, uh, especially, does tend to cover that kind of you know, heroic sacrifice, the the voluntary death. Yeah, yeah well, the, that's the, also true. Yeah, where yeah. the player voluntarily sacrifices the character for some reason. Yeah, you know, whether they want to move on to something else or because it's a, it feels like a good out for the character. Mm-hmm. So,
1: here's a question for our guests um, how how does character death either help Or hinder a game's sense of fun?
3: Oh, that depends. Um, if it's, uh, I find that if it's a, uh, story driven death that, uh, the player now anticipates based on where the storyline's going, how they feel about their character and what they feel their character would do, uh, compared to the, oh, I'm sorry I just rolled a crit and you took enough damage to completely destroy you I'm sorry so the, the the surprise didn't know it was coming versus the wow this would be really cool in the story
1: so you're you're drawing a distinction between random and meaningful death yes okay i I think there is a distinction that's mm-hmm.
2: true yeah I've, I've, uh, there was actually I've actually uh, seen some uh, discussion on this uh, on rpg.net recently talking about the, the seemingly much more random and arbitrary death that tends to crop up in uh, old, uh, older school games. Um, and a lot of the time, I think it's, and I think this was the consensus that was brought forward, is that the threat of death is always significantly more important than death itself. The threat of death is your risk, it's your consequence, it's, you know, it's the
3: stakes.
1: Yeah, it's well, the same. I, I I don't disagree with you. I think you're right, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go another step further and say I think it depends on the genre. Mm,
3: Obviously, that is entirely true.
0: I don't think it so much depends on the genre. Genre. I think it can actually inform the genre. Well,
1: yeah, I, it, I, informs I, and I, is, is informed by.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's uh, one of the reasons why later editions of D and D, like starting with around third, and especially in fourth edition, a lot of people didn't see it the same saw it a lot more combat oriented so you were more willing to get into a fight because you knew you could survive right. it in earlier editions first especially you tried your best to avoid fights if you could in basic d because you were especially at the levels you were squishy
3: yeah it's, and it's, especially it's, if you were a wizard it's, yeah it's yes. combat as a failure
2: is a as a failure state i think i've seen it described is it if you've gotten into a fight you've messed up somewhere
1: you know, I, I suddenly want to get Nathan back on the show with, uh, Daryl Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, when, you know, Daryl, uh, uh, Nathan's thrown around terms like failure state and, uh, status condition. And I'm like, Oh man, we need to get him with, uh, with Daryl Hardy. Cause, uh, those guys, they, they would be on a roll, wouldn't they?
0: I, I, I feel by my... the time you hear this, our glossary will be up defining all the terms that come up with. We've got concept death and, oh, oh God.
3: I feel I feel a lack of uh, linguistical skill at this point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Nathan is speaking the Queen's English, which
3: is automatically better than, than American. Well, it just sounds better too because of the accent.
2: <laughs> as far as I can tell, I'm not the one with the accent. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Point. Funny> thing <laughs> is linguistically speaking, we're the ones without an accent, you're the ones who changed. Okay, okay in the 1800s. Okay.
1: <laughs> let's uh let's talk about uh, let's actually talk about that genre convention a little bit, because specifically when it comes to d and I think it's really important. I mean, it's almost not D&D if there isn't some kind of way to come back from the dead, right? It's it's uh, it's kind of a built-in thing to the game now. I mean, you, you know, Order of the Stick did like a whole month's worth of, uh, well, months and months worth of comics based on the idea of of how... Uh, there's a revolving door in heaven kind of a thing, right?
3: Ah, yes, Roy. And when he passed away.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, that, that's an important reflection of, you know, the mechanics that are really important to that particular genre of gaming.
3: Well, absolutely. I mean, when you've got a genre where the gods are that closely tied to the world where they actually provide the abilities and powers of one of the primary classes, um, or, um, you know, um, Character types that you can play, uh, resurrection becomes nothing more than a another spell that can be that can be used as a tool to to make sure your heroes do what do the good deed, fight the good fight.
1: Well, but that I'm just saying that like D and D, especially on its own, like like compared to mm-hmm. say Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is also a it's also a fantasy game. Um, it also has guys who channel the power of the gods. Um, mm. but there is no coming back.
3: <laughs> oh no! Well, absolutely that's not, true. not.
1: That's yeah. not true. If you are, you know, if you're like in league with chaos, you might be mm. able to come
2: back, but it will never be good,
1: right? <laughs> yeah.
2: But there at the same that. time, one fantasy roleplay has always had means of mitigating that battle. You've got your fate points that you can burn in order to right. avoid death. So it's almost yeah, like preemptive. Not- it's almost like preemptive resurrection
1: it is but it's it's not quite the same i no. mean it's it, it from a uh from a versatility point of view there is no coming back from the yeah, dead yeah precisely that's what i'm saying yeah you've you've got mm-hmm. your
2: ways of avoiding reaching that state which obviously True. works which is obviously quite useful in a setting quite that deadly right so if you have
1: i mean i i think the question we need to ask is you know it, when is that kind of death that we've been talking about when is it good and when is it bad you know how do, how does this how does this enhance the fun and how does it take away from the fun
2: i think the point where it takes away is the the easiest part of that because the point where it takes away is that you're no longer playing that character even if it's just for a short while you you know the character is suddenly unavailable to you
1: well you, you could say that if like you're really into your story like, like maybe you're like some players I know, and you write like a ten-page backstory for your character, right? You're deeply invested in that character.
2: Well, even if you're playing it more, yeah, more as a game, and there's yeah, and when you replace the character, you, uh, yeah, you're x number of levels behind, or yeah, you lose something when you get resurrected, or simply you're missing out on. Yeah, you know, on experience that you would have gotten while you were, you know, had you not been dead. Yeah, you sometimes know. there's a mechanical penalty. Yeah. There's a, the, yeah. there's, there's that state of your character is dead. Your character isn't a presence, isn't a factor in this game for this duration. And that might be indefinite. You're not playing the game anymore.
1: Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that's <laughs> not,
2: it's definitely bad. So obviously, I, I think those sorts of games really suit, um, Quick character generation, so that even if per- character death's permanent, you can yeah you can put together a new character yeah. to replace him very quickly. That's true.
1: What about um what about when it's good? When is when is having you know that kind of that kind of risk in the game? when, when is that good?
3: Uh, when you're playing a game like Dread, um that horror genre <laughs> oh, yes. where you know everyone is you know. The intensity of the storyline is that there's a good chance that some or none of you are going to make it out of this alive, and that is part of the driving story that makes everybody buy into the game. That's a really good point.
1: Daryl, do you have anything to say about that?
0: Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Whenever it's kind of the point of the game, to have that major risk factor there, that's always important to have. You want to have some consequences, but there are ways to have consequences without necessarily that consequence being, okay, this character's gone. Uh, The the way I really don't like it is the way that it's been done in a lot of D&D editions, and it's one concept that I really don't like. Save or die. If my character does something stupid, I screw... I get into a fight I shouldn't have got into. I should have avoided. I triggered the trap or something like that. I don't like it coming down to just one bit of bad chance. Oh, that beholder's ray happened to pick you. Roll a die. You rolled one bad time. This character's gone. That one's always rubbed me the wrong way.
1: And I can understand. I can understand why that would be. But I think, you know, to be clear, there are people who really like that. You know that that is that is actually part of the enjoyment for them is that there's always a chance that that adventuring is a very dangerous occupation.
2: It's the I think it's the same sort of um, yeah you know, thrill that comes with um, yeah you know, high stakes poker and things like that. You know you you are playing there is a risk involved in the game you're playing. There is yeah you know, there is something to lose. Right. Uh, have you ever run into a
1: guy Lee who's who takes pride in telling you about all the stuff his character survived?
3: Um. Yes, but uh, I've also run into game masters who take pride in the fact that oh man, at this uh, in the last session I got my third TPK of the con, and that drives <laughs> me crazy too.
4: Well,
1: yeah, that's possibly a separate subject, but yeah, oh, oh yeah,
3: <laughs> I know that people when they when they talk about their characters, they talk about you know what their characters accomplished and the things that they've been involved in and occasionally you do have that person who comes up with, you know, and says, oh, and I have to tell you how my character died. It was so cool. It yeah, doesn't happen hard. always, but, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we brought up the idea that there's a difference between random death and meaningful death, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, I, Daryl, uh, you're clearly not a fan of the random death.
0: <laughs> um, ne- so like, ne- it needs to be a factor random death. in the it's game. Just the, it's the one, die, one bad chance of luck and you're gone from, <laughs> doesn't matter how well you played, doesn't matter how well you did anything, just, oh, you happened to roll bad one time, that's it. That's what's uh, always bugged me about it.
3: Like first edition, save versus death, which, you know, it's like, wow, that's, you know, save versus death. Or
1: petrification or poison, you know. I think, you know, for me, I think, again, it comes back to the genre. If the genre of the game makes sense that random death is is a thing, you know, I'm I'm usually okay with it. Like if we're if if uh, if Lee were to say, "Hey, I'm going to run," you know, "Return of the Tomb of Horrors." Ooh. Yeah, I'm
3: I'm going to be prepared for <laughs> Saber Die, right? You know, and yeah, that's gonna when you show sure.
0: up with three characters at, know, at, at, least, least.
3: at least. Well, it's like it's like the the game uh, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. I mean, the way they do their opening is right. you start as zero level characters. You've got five or six characters, and whichever ones survive become your first level characters from that point.
1: Right, and th- I think there's something fun about that. I think there's definitely, you know, there's no, reason to, there's no reason to say that that's not fun. Yeah. I guess no, no, know I
3: I enjoy it, and um, I think it's a really great way to introduce the system, but it's one of those systems where everyone knows going in not to become too attached to their characters, yeah, you it, know? It, it,
2: it's a really bad thing to spring that kind of game on someone that doesn't that isn't expecting it if they come in with a different set of expectations.
1: Yeah, absolutely great mm-hmm. point Nathan. So it, it, the impact is more negative if you're if it's a surprise.
3: Yes
0: And I think that may be what my big problem with it is is I usually prefer more story based games. I like characters with big backgrounds. I like an ongoing plot. And if you have those instant death sort of games or a lot of random death, it's not as fulfilling because you know the character could die at any point. You can't get attached to it as much. But if you're running a game that's more along the lines of getting a dungeon crawl, getting through the dungeons the point, necessarily any plot point or anything like that, mm-hmm. that's a completely different story. In that case, it's it's another challenge to overcome.
1: Well, I, I think there's no reason why they couldn't both be true. Like, I, I, There's no reason why Nathan couldn't run us through a really dangerous... Randomly killing us dungeon, and we still have a great story to tell at the end. I mean, i, all, I was, all I'm pointing out is that that these are all very different ways to approach it. And you know, everything we're talking about here tonight is just our own personal approach mm-hmm. to it. Your everybody's individual group and, and campaign is different, and they're going to have different things to take away from it.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I do a lot of uh, superhero uh, role play. Mm-hmm. You know, grew up teething on champions and Marvel superheroes, the original TSR, and that's a genre where, uh, again, death is not necessarily a permanent thing because, well, superheroes don't die; they may come back different than when they, you know, originally left the uh, the 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 comic, but they usually come back at some point.
0: Hmm. No, that's a really good thing. There's only there's only three comic book characters that stay dead: Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, and Bucky.
3: Oops. And, and actually, actually, and actually, and Uncle Ben is actually not dead in one of the parallel Spider-Man strips.
0: Okay. And and Gwen, Gwen
3: Stacy's comeback al- as has
2: Bucky. Gwen Stacy's still alive in the Ultimate Universe. It was Peter Parker that died in that one.
3: Yep. <laughs>
2: All right. Uh, yeah, so superheroes is a
1: genre. That's one mm-hmm. where death really just doesn't happen. I mean, it's not even really on the table. Except as a temporary, you know, shift in uh, costume, perhaps. <laughs>
2: yeah, it happens when you want it to. Yeah, you know, when you use it as an event.
1: Yeah, you know, you... but that's not true for all superhero games either. Like if mm. we're going to do Watchmen, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, yeah. Or like there's I totally,
1: mean... totally character death.
0: Mm.
3: That is a completely separate genre than your standard four color, though. That is a much grittier, darker. Yeah.
1: I'm just saying, we, you you can say things like, "Well, superhero games don't have any death," but that's only true for a certain style.
3: Well, you can say, you know, d and D, and d like games don't have uh, permanent death or don't have permanent death um, as well, or they do have permanent death except for fourth edition. You know, well, it depends on how. It's just harder to kill people in one edition right. than it is in another. But it is possible. If you have for problems killing
0: back. players in fourth edition, uh, what killing that's players? That's not the edition's fault. Oh, sorry, oh, characters.
3: Yeah, just gonna say, "Where did we just go?"
1: <laughs> sorry, are you talking about killing players?
0: No, no, don't kill players. Killing players is bad.
3: <laughs> uh, occasionally, but the thought has, in the gamer's tavern. Uh, occasionally, the thought has crossed the mind, but. Uh, well, <laughs>
1: okay, well, I want to say, you know, going back to the idea of the genre, though, I mean, it's important to, to maintain, I think, some of the risk and some of the, the stakes based on the genre. If we're playing, you know, sort of happy-go-lucky, the Three Musketeers, I'm not expecting random death to be a thing. Meaningful death is something I, I would expect, but, you know, to be randomly killed by, you know, a guy on the side of the road, no, not so much. But if we're going to play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, yeah, if I, if, if some kid throws a rock at me, I'm, there's a chance I could get killed.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it, the genre, the, the, the actual genre, uh, of the game, uh, gives you a base idea of what's available, but the actual setting itself. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, you take D and D, D and D is a much more almost four color version of fantasy compared to Warhammer fantasy role play, which is very, very grimdark, you right. know?
1: Well, I want to tell a quick story here. Um, I was running my Shadows Angeles game um, for
3: Champions with a group back in Maryland. I so want to play in this setting now that I hear you talk about it all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, and one of my players was uh, Nestor, a good friend of mine. And he, uh, he kind of took me aside early on and he said, you know, I, I hear you're rolling all the dice in the open. And I just want you to be aware, you know, there's a chance you're going to kill one of us doing that because you're doing a lot of damage. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's kinda, that's kinda the point of a horror game is that there's gotta be risk of, of just getting killed. And he says, yeah, but I don't wanna, I, I put a lot of time and energy into this character. I love this character. I don't want him to just die on some random roll. And I said, well, I, you know, I sympathize with you, but I can't, you know, in, a, in a horror game, I can't guarantee that you will survive every encounter. Um so what we we ended up discussing was this whole idea of the random versus meaningful death because Nestor really, you know, being a story a guy, he he really wanted his character to end on something that was under his control. You know. And and he coming from a background of playing superheroes, he was used to that. And I I had to I had to kind of talk him down from the ledge actually a little bit um by explaining that, you know, for for me as a GM like when I run a a horror game, Part of the idea of a horror game, part of the reason why there is that emotional impact of, of something being creepy or scary is because it can hurt you. It can have a consequence, which could mean your character gets killed or concept killed or, you know, any any of those things we talked about.
0: And that's something that, something we bring up a lot on this show is communication. If the, Game master is very clear about the type of game around. Even if you, and in, in my opinion, you can't really assume even based on genre. Because I had a DM and uh, the guy who ran the game store I grew up in. He was an old school player, but we were playing in third edition. I knew third edition. I was expecting, you know, light and fluffy combat, blah. blah. Sure, we got into a fight, but we're gonna beat it. No, the guy was throwing. The reason why I brought up beholders earlier, he was throwing them at us at second fucking level. Holy. That is, that that is, that is outside of the, uh, I have lost, I have lost, so I stopped playing wizards for about five or six years because two of them in a row got killed by a fucking cat. (laughs) Yep.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, I got it. The house cat is one of the most dangerous possible, uh, threats for a, uh, (laughs) wizard at first level. I mean, it just depends on who gets initiative. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you uh you know
1: I hear I hear the frustration in Daryl's voice and I know it's I know it's real. I know that people just don't like that. But I'm the guy that loves reading in Knights of the Dinner Table where those guys just make like 50 characters to try to get through a particular challenge because they want to win, you know? <laughs> and so
0: and I, it would have been good if our expectations were on the same page. <laughs> if I had known that's what was going to happen going into it, I would have approached it a completely different way. Instead of, you know, coming up with, okay, this character is taking this skill because of this reason, not this character is taking this skill because we're probably going to run into this. It was just different expectations. Yeah. If we were both on the same page, it would have been a completely different story.
1: Okay, so you know, we've talked about making sure that expectations are 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 really important um, between you know. How people see their their characters and, and what happens to them later on, because of that that impact. Like Nathan says, they're basically not playing the game anymore if they die. Um, what are, what happens if you have an RPG that just ignores character death? That is just not something that ever happens.
3: Trying to think of systems that that's the case. Um. Eclipse Phase,
2: yeah. For example,
3: I, I've not, I've not uh, picked up to a
2: real Eclipse Phase d- yeah. Depending on how you run it, fate can be done that way. You, there's no, nec- there's no requirement that a character actually dies. That is taken true because the consequence uh, system.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, you're just taken out, and what that means depends on the situation. Depends on what the group you know, decides. Uh, similar will be the dramatic version of Cortex Plus, the version that you, they used for Smallville. Um, where character death is one small sidebar, and basically saying a character doesn't die unless the player wants them to, unless the owning player agrees to it. Right.
1: So huh. that's what I'm asking: is what happens? How does that affect the game when you, if you, if you play a game where that's the case?
0: In that case, the risk has to be something other than yeah. There still as has to be some sort of risk there.
2: There's consequences. The, death isn't the consequence, but it's there are others. That,
3: yeah, any system that doesn't that doesn't actually have uh any kind of a consequence system uh at all would be basically useless. I mean, you might as well sit at home and read a book at that point cuz mm-hmm. there is no risk.
1: Well, I, I that's I guess what I'm asking is like so give us an, you know, Nathan, can you give me an example of uh what you would do, you know, to uh to to make a risk?
2: Well, oh. Cortex Plus dramatic. I've run it uh, a few few times when it came out, and I think it's a good example of that because the game, the the system's focus is on that kind of dramatic character interaction that you see on relationship-based shows. Your characters aren't uh, driven more by uh, their their values and their beliefs and their relationships than they are by any actual abilities. Uh, I had a situation where, and you go into conflict not necessarily because you want, uh, because of the end result, but more because of what the character wants to achieve from it, and the consequences, the the in-game consequences, stress. To you know, it's got five types of stress: angry and and scared, and uh, injured is one of the five, and you're taking those as you're resisting giving someone else what they want. Kind of things. The consequences are being taken out of a scene and not necessarily killed, but yeah, being rendered unconscious, being made so angry that you storm off. Yeah, it's awkward to try and describe, especially off the top of the you know, just off the top of my head.
1: Okay, but I you, I think you're making a good point that there's
2: there's other things you
1: can threaten hmm. in their life, right? There's other things at stake than just whether or not you
2: will survive. Yes, you can always punch a superhero in the girlfriend.
1: <laughs> okay, can we make a t-shirt with that?
3: I'll
0: Seriously,
1: that's it. a that's a great term. Oh, I think we got
0: our show title. We got right. our
1: show title right now. <laughs> How to punch a superhero in the girlfriend.
0: <laughs> but that actually, that is actually a good point that uh, was brought up by a blogger called uh, Angry DM. Uh, well, he's kind of a friend of mine online, Uh can meet him for the first time at Gen Con, that's going to be fun, but he ran a campaign, he is notorious for, we had Tom Lamalon a while back, he does the Dungeon Bastard, and he's the player, Dungeon Bastard is the player version of Angry DM, he is the guy who is, is in character anyway, is trash character sheets, and you run the game the way I want it, if you don't play, if you don't run your game the way I say, then you're wrong, and you're playing the game wrong, and that's his character. And so he threw everyone for a loop when he started talking about it on his blog. He started a new campaign in Pathfinder where the characters could not die. What happened was, and they didn't know why, but for some reason when they did die, within 24 hours they were resurrected in this cave with an ancient magic artifact. They had none of their gear and clothes. They were naked as the day they were born, but they came back every single time. So he did it as kind of an experiment to see what would happen, see if there was a way to, A, still threaten the characters without having death hanging over them as the risk, which, if you read his blogs, he was successful in that. And B, it ended up kind of like a social experiment because he found that in the beginning, they started to use a lot more kamikaze-like tactics, They would just throw themselves dead at straight at stuff until they realized that, oh, wait, just because we can't die doesn't necessarily mean that's the best course of action, even if it does take out the bad guy, because we're now we could be on the other side of the planet. (laughs) I'm I'm going to drown you in my corpses. (laughs) Pretty much. But again, you don't know when you're coming back within that day and you're coming back in that same spot that may be a long way away from where you were. And he also really played up the story elements, which is what brought this to my mind. Uh, he played up all the people they knew in the town, the barmaid, the uh, the town guard, the sheriff, the mayor. They were real characters. So when they were doing their little thing where they would run up and yay, attack, blah, blah, kamikaze attack. And yay, we got him. But he killed us. But we come back and they come back to find the town was a smoking ruin because what was there was just the scout. And it's all the people, all the people are there, their houses are ruined. And one of the NPCs had died because of their actions in disregarding death. So there were still consequences.
3: It's kind of, kind of reminds me of a friend of mine ran a uh, GURPS river world for us for a short time. Um, and of course in river world, I don't know if you've ever read the books, but spoiler alert, um, Whenever you die, the next morning you wake up on the shore of this river that encompasses the entire surface of this world. But it's not necessarily in the same spot that you died. So you may never actually see the other people that you were interacting with before. So technically it is a permanent character death in the fact that while the character's still alive, they're somewhere else on the world.
1: Well, I think you know what we're getting around to is that you know, games where death is not the main risk or where death is not a, a factor can still be fun. They certainly can still have a consequence and they can still have a really interesting story to tell. And, you know, I, I'm going to give another, I'm going to give an example that's actually a little bit outside of tabletop, but um, if anybody's ever played Planescape Torment,
3: mm-hmm.
1: the main character in that is called the Nameless One and his deal is he, he can't be killed. But it's, one, it's widely regarded as one of the best video game role playing games ever and the nameless one is one of the most uh immersive and engrossing stories ever for for that particular type of game so that's it's it's interesting that you, i think that we're we're all talking about like you know random death can be fun and permanent death can be you know a good thing if you're in a, in the right genre but it's also true that games where you don't necessarily die
4: mm-hmm. can
1: still be you know they, those games can still be fun those games mm-hmm. can still uh, you know, have a lot of value.
0: There's some games like that where the death is somewhat the point. Uh, paranoia.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to get around to paranoia, but actually, I want to I want to draw another quick comparison. Now, I know Lee goes to a lot of conventions. Nathan, do, yes. you, do you go to a lot of conventions? Um,
2: there aren't so many over in this country. Um, and, Do you go to uh, Dragon Meet. Well, it's again, it's finding the time. I mean, I've yeah, uh, you know, my work is a bit uh, bizarre, so uh, getting the time to right. search them out and travel the country. Yeah, it might not not seem like a long way, but it's all a matter of perspective. Understood. (laughs) Well, the the key thing about a convention
1: game is that it's a one shot. Mm. You are sitting around a table with people playing characters that you will play once and probably never ever again. Yeah. And I, you know, what comes to my mind is that those games are basically death free too, because there's, you know, if if you die during that game, you know, so what? It's you're never coming back. Mm. You know, this is this is a one shot, right? Uh, and, and a lot of people have a lot of fun at convention games. Those convention games can be incredibly in fun and entertaining, even though the consequence, as, you know, as defined by Nathan, where, you know, you just don't get to play, that's, it's just not a factor. Mm. Right?
3: Yeah, the worst that's gonna happen at that point is that you just have to wait for the start of the next slot.
1: Right. So, (laughs) but everybody enjoys the hell out of convention games. So I think that's another, you know, uh, point factor I would point to as, that, that character death, you know, while it seems like a big looming, you know, thing that just, just uh, can overshadow, uh, you know, your fun, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way.
0: And you guys have heard me talk about it already. I'm not a big fan of, like, the random death thing, but one of my most fun con games ever was run by Bruce Cordell, which if you've read any of his adventures, you know kind of the hell that we were facing <clears throat> when it comes to trying to keep our characters alive. Uh, we apparently he created this uh almost Tomb of Horrors esque trap mecca, and we had to kind we had to get through it, and we managed to make it all the way through the thing. He was shocked when we survived. Yeah, and didn't <laughs> but it was still a lot of fun. And
1: there's a lot of accomplishment to be had. You know, we played uh Tem- Temple of Elemental Evil, very old school, back in the day, and I re- I still will tell you with pride how far. Thor and ironbeard survived through that dungeon you know (laughs) those
0: fucking frogs right at the start
1: so yeah i I, you know i think i think games with a high body count can be awesome too so we've actually talked a little bit about some things that you can do to avoid death like mechanics in games like uh nathan brought up fate points
2: now how nathan uh, how do fate points work to to where you don't die Fundamentally, it's a very limited form of rewriting the story. You, you undo whatever it is that killed you or change it in such a way that it doesn't kill you. Your character is left in a very bad state, but they're not dead. Essentially, it's a number of get-out-of-jail-free cards for your character to avoid those unfortunate or yeah, downright stupid situations. But you've right. only and got th- a limited number of them. It,
1: this is also true for uh, Shadow and 4th Edition with the uh, edge. It's called the Hand of God. Where you burn the edge, and,
3: and then you've also got uh, systems like Savage Worlds, which have bennies. There's a lot more systems out there that have uh, an in-game currency that allows the player to manipulate the fate of the character that are coming out more and more nowadays.
0: So there's one that someone mentioned to me. I didn't know if any of you guys had heard of it. It was uh, they gave me two names. It was Corana and Rulad. Uh, Never heard of it. J.R. No. J- Kane from the RPG Net. He's a Game designer, I can't remember his real name right now. But uh, he mentioned this one, which characters have what's called a destiny score. And the destiny score can stand in for any stat, even damage resistance ones. But if you fail, uh, you lose a point. And your character doesn't die until you run out of, it isn't retired until you run out of destiny points. So you have to physically, you have to choose to use that last destiny point to re-roll something on the risk of death in that system.
1: Well, I I want to point out something about these these currency, these resources. Um, Like, for example, in in Shadrins, it's certainly possible for me to have a character with seven or eight edge points. In 40k, I had a character with, like, five fate points, right? And I regard that many as being basically, I won't die. Because... The odds of the odds of my character getting put in a situation where I'm gonna have to hand a god seven times or burn five fate points, you know, that's almost impossible. That that would require a campaign of very long length. As far as as far as my experience with those kind of games are concerned, is that's that's essentially a
3: character who will never die. Obviously, Ross, you've never played with some of my players.
1: I'm. I'm just saying. I think. I think it's not unreasonable to look at that as effectively an immortal type I think of character. You're right in that situation, but
2: with, 40, with 40k and with um, Warhammer Fantasy in particular, because you've got the critical hit tables, there is still a consequence to serious injury. Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even if
1: I don't die, there's still a consequence. Yes. Yeah.
2: Uh, and even if you, know yeah, lose an arm and get it replaced with, yeah, even if you can replace that arm with a bionic. The character has still suffered a consequence
1: and in Shadowrun if I burn my fate points I am becoming less uh, effective Mm. over time I mean it's it's weird but your edge is actually a a pretty good indicator of how awesome you are in
3: Shadowrun Mm. Um, (laughs) been listening to the actual play so yes I I would agree with that
0: (laughs) oh just wait (laughs) (laughs) we haven't gotten to the horizon part yet (laughs)
4: Hi, this is Nick Jaworski, and you may not realize it or probably don't care, but I edit some of the shows here on the Gamers Tavern Podcast Network. If you like podcasts but love audio editing, then I have great news for you. I have my own show titled One Degree of Separation, and you can listen to it right now and subscribe at OneDegreeWithNick.com. The show is kind of hard to describe. Each episode is basically an experiment that contains original music, stories, interviews. It's probably just best if I quickly show you some recent episodes. Try to see what you had. If you had anything interesting for me. Well, uh, have you ever, have you ever waterboarded somebody? It's actually a story of Abraham Lincoln, a very superstitious man, seeing his own doppelganger multiple times over a couple of nights. When looking in the mirror, he saw two faces, his normal face and then a pale, ghostly one that that worried him. I have to get back to editing right now, but you should go check out all of that and more at OneDegreeWithNick.com. Thanks.
1: So, uh, we talked a little... I think um, I told my story about the Harrowed in Deadlands. The Harrowed is a really cool mechanic where... Um, in Deadlands, if your character dies, there's a chance, uh, albeit a small one, but there's a chance he will come back as an undead, way cooler sometimes, uh, character than you originally were.
3: Make a draw, pray for the Joker.
1: Yes, exactly. Yep. There's also, of course, the, uh, one that Daryl mentioned was, uh, Par- paranoia. Daryl, tell us about how paranoia deals
0: with it. Are you cleared for that citizen? I I'm sorry. I love paranoia. It's just so much fun. But You you and me both, Daryl. You and me both. (laughs) So I got someone for the actual play of Paranoia on board then. Oh Um, yes. The way paranoia works is you start off with a six-pack. You have six clones. So when one of your clones dies, and depending on edition, you may or may not keep your memories, but most people just keep the memories because it's easier. But if your clone dies. Within a certain amount of time, your next clone shows up. Sometimes it'll be immediately, sometimes it'll be a couple minutes later, but you have six clones to go through. And you actually, your name has a little dash and a number behind it, and that's the number of the clone you are. So, it, it encourages, it, it, and Paranoia is a game, if you guys don't know about it, we've talked about it before, but it encourages sort of player versus player in betrayal. You want to betray the rest of the party before they betray you? If you don't go through much. at
1: least one clone per episode, you're not really playing it right. If you don't go through at least one clone <laughs> on the
2: way to the objective, you're not playing if it right. If you don't
0: go through three clones <laughs> in the mission briefing, you fucked up. <laughs>
2: Last time I played it, um, I managed to actually get my character promoted by sabotaging the mini sub that we were in, because everyone else was traitors. <laughs> of course they
3: were.
2: Of course they were.
1: But um, so, so I think you know we're exaggerating a little bit for a fact, But yeah, uh, paranoia—it's it, definitely a big part of the game. Is this get out of death free card that you have up to six times? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and depending on the edition, you can actually buy another six pack if you have enough money.
1: Right.
3: There was of or, course, or the... if you're a member of the Clone Rangers, in which case you can just make deals with your secret society to have spares.
0: Secret societies are traitorous, citizen. Please report to the nearest suicide chamber. <laughs> yes, there's also, yes,
3: computer.
1: <laughs> there's also uh, the <laughs> Ghost Walk supplement for D&D where uh, you basically played the whole... If I remember right, you played the entire thing as a ghost.
0: Yeah, it, it, if I'm not mistaken, this is another one of those campaign things that kind of ended up getting forgotten in a way. But the way I understand it is, if your character dies, you had the option to bring them back as a ghost and keep playing that character. Same level, same class, same everything, except now you're a ghost. And there and was, was part a part of the world.
1: There's a uh, uh, role-playing game called Rune uh, where you could basically do a character save. <laughs> you could basically spend some XP right before you enter a dangerous encounter and then reload your character if he died. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. Know, hey, I could actually dig it. If it's, you know, I, in a in a certain genre, I could totally dig that.
3: Absolutely, um, I mean that just sounds awesome. There's a
2: campaign. There's a campaign setting coming up for Fate that that would be perfect for. Where you're basically playing eight bit computer game characters trying to save the internet from a virus. Nice. It's kind of it's kind of, nice. it, it's kind of um, Wreck It Ralph meets Lord of the Rings. You know what is this called? And, and where can um, I buy it? I don't think it's out yet. And it's called Save Game. And it's part of uh, I think it's part of the of Evil Hat's Patreon um, project. Okay. We'll have to
1: get a link on that for the show notes. Um, and of course, uh, there's Eclipse Phase, where your body is simply a sleeve and your mind is in what's called a cortical stack, which is uh, routinely backed up to a main computer so you can just sort of, oh, well, I died, I'll just you know download myself into another body and try again.
3: That reminds me of my uh, Marvel superhero character that uh, had uh, basically an Android body and I could just modify the powers and upgrade the body and transfer my... Consciousness from body to body, as I needed.
1: Or if you're playing someone like Majrox the multiple man, you know you can.
3: I mm-hmm.
2: will drown you in my corpses is
3: or not an idle threat. <laughs> suddenly revealed
1: that your
2: character's been a life model decoy all along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Doombots. Uh, Nathan, mm. can you explain how uh, death works in Dungeon World?
2: Yeah, I um, I actually got the uh, I, the. It works... It's kind of... Let's try and get past the blathering part. Um, (laughs) You're doing fine. You're doing fine. When you reach a point where your character's dead, you make a death save. It's the same sort of test as you make with any other characteristic, but there's no characteristic modifiers. And like with all tests in Dungeon World, there are three end results. Complete failure, partial success, and complete success. Complete success... On a death save, you back out. You're on your feet. Or you're on your feet again. You've survived. A partial success, and the GM can negotiate with you on behalf of death in order for you to be able to <laughs> bribe your way back. Nice. I like <laughs> so that. You could, so for whatever, whatever, con, you know, the char- there will be consequences. Your character may be irrevocably changed, but you're not dead.
4: Hmm.
1: Uh, Can anybody else think of some interesting mechanics vis-a-vis character death that uh, are out there in the various uh, games that are out there?
0: Most of the ones I know are more house rule kind of things. Uh, uh, If you've ever seen the Kickstarter-backed World's Worst Dungeon Crawl from Dungeon Bastard, one of the characters in there was much lower level than the other characters, but had a uh, I want to say it was a uh, a Ring of Reincarnation, and had a list of different stuff, so Die one turn, roll. What does he come back as? Cobalt. Dies. What does she come back as? And it just went a flump. Well, it wasn't a flump because flumps are copyrighted by Wizards of the Coast and they're not open game licensed. But you get the idea.
1: Well, I think, you know, here's here's where I want to take it and kind of bring it back around to to find out, you know, how the guests feel about character death in general. And I, I'm going to start us out with um, some thoughts from, from me. I think, I think death... And, and you know, I I always like to say that I'm I'm a guy who where story is really important to me. I like I like telling my character story or or seeing how the character changes over time. Um, and I think death is actually for me part of that journey. It's it's a, it's a thing. I always kind of wonder like where that character will end up. And I, I have a lot of great characters who I look back on and I'm like I'm really glad that there's that they didn't die. I'm glad that they survived. I'm glad that they achieved their goals, and I'm glad that they're still, you know, in my memory, you know, out there still somewhere trying to save the world. But at the same time, I think there's some really good things, there's some really good tales to be told where characters die, where their deaths, meaningful and random both <laughs> uh you know contribute to the experience for me it's it's all about the experience of the game and if i have a good time even if my character gets offed by a bad role or if he gets off because i made a, a, a conscious decision uh you know for me that's that's really where it lies is as long as that's as long as it's fun i'm having as long as i'm having a good time it's it's it still serves the purpose what about you, Nathan? How, what's your, uh, what's your, your general thoughts on character death?
2: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm much the same in that regard. Death, for me, isn't so important as itself as it is uh, representative of the, the potential risk of consequences. Now, I don't necessarily care if there's no death specifically in a game, just so long as the characters can suffer consequences because of their choices, because of the situations they find themselves in.
1: Now that being said, if I ran a game of Shadows Angeles, uh, you you would know ahead of time that your character can certainly die.
2: Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> you now i've I've got I've got nothing against uh, horror ga- you know, horror style games, and, you know, and, and in those, yeah, you know, major threat to life and limb and beyond, uh, part and parcel.
1: Well, here's, you know, here's an important thing. I think, um, I talked to a guy at a convention about this once and the, the decision we, we, what we came down to was the stories you tell after the game. Right. And he says, you know, for him, it's a lot more fun to tell the story of, Hey, do you remember that time we almost died? That's that, that was his view on it It was, you know, it, it far more often it would, that was the more fun story to say afterward than remember that time we all got totally senselessly killed. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, I think there's, there's, again, there's, it depends on the group because I certainly have a lot of great stories about both.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's always a, a fondness for telling stories about just snatching defeat from the, uh, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat.
3: Or but vice there's also,
0: versa. There's also fun in telling the other side of it, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, that moment when you think you've won everything and then you just screw up royally. One of the most fun campaigns I actually had was, it was, <clears throat> I, and I've talked about this campaign before, I really want to do it again in a way, but it was run by that same guy, uh, Ray, may he rest in peace, who ran the local gaming store. And it was a Thieves Guild campaign in Waterdeep. We were trying to establish a Thieves Guild in Waterdeep. And there are no Thieves Guilds for a reason. And we kept finding out why. And it wasn't just because of the fact that we were like the three stooges of thieves guilds. <laughs> 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 we were so Oh, wise bad. guy, eh? <laughs> we hey, were so bad at being thieves. It was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but the thing is, we dropped like flies. We all had like five or six characters wow. at any one time just because we kept having to remake them to keep a buffer up so we could keep jumping back into the game. It's like, oh, hey, we failed on this. Let's grab the other guy from the guild hall and... It was, but it was a lot of fun, even though we were just trashing character sheets left and right. Because, again, that was the expectation, and we got ourselves into those messes. We did it to <laughs> ourselves. We were dumbasses. <laughs>
1: what about you, Lee? What's your thoughts on it?
0: I, I just have to say to Daryl's comment, the first
3: thing that popped into my mind was from the Gamers too: we used the pile of dead bards for cover. <laughs> 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 Um, You know, character death to me, especially since I GM more than I play, Um, character death, as long as my players are having fun, we're all having fun, we're all having a good time, we're all laughing about it, or it brings up an emotional story that we can talk about later on, like the character at the end of uh, Sundered Sky's campaign who sacrificed himself to save the world, you know? The rest of the party tried to stop him, and he literally fought them off to sacrifice himself to save the world. Those are amazing to me. That's when character death is awesome. Yes. When it's not expected, it's not planned, and it's just senseless, and because of a bad die roll, that's not so awesome to me, and I try to avoid that in my games. I try not to be the person who rolls everything behind the Game Master screen and fudges every roll just to make sure the players come out on top— but I'm also not the guy who's willing to pull his punches, especially when my players do something stupid.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you're, you, you can certainly understand how some people could enjoy, you oh, know, absolutely. the random death as a, as yeah. a threat.
3: And as long as, and as long as that is, uh, you know, a valid threat and as long as the, the, the players are aware of it, um, I, I, I completely see that as a, as a valid, um, survival mechanism for the characters to drive the characters to, to understand that that is a, a legitimate threat for their characters in the game.
1: Well, uh, let me throw another thing out there uh, for you. Cause mm-hmm. you know, char- character death I think is, and we've, we've kind of got talked around this issue a little bit more, you know, cause we talked about, you know, the need for um, communication, which, which is not my strong suit tonight, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about the need for communication, um, you know, about expectations mm-hmm. and things like that. I'm going to go a step further on this and say I think that when it comes to character death, this is for me. I think it's a true test of trust between the 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 group and the game master. Mm-hmm. I, I think there there is very few things that push that boundary quite as much as how you and your group handle it when a character dies. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, no, I would totally yeah, agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I
2: agree with that.
3: I mean, I've had I've had players who, you know, God forbid if their player if their character got a paper cut, they were whining and crying until the end of the next the following <laughs> session, you know. <laughs> um, but then I've got other players who, you know, the fact that their character died, they were like, "Oh, that was cool. It was great for the story." You know, hey, I'll just make up a new character for the next session, you yeah. know, and they don't have a big issue with it, um, even if they were really attached to the character.
1: Well, again, I want to tell a quick story. I was playing in D&D with a friend of mine who we ended up playing for over a year. But it was probably like the third session, right? And I didn't know him very well. But in the third session, my character got killed. And I was having so much fun in that game. It was just I I enjoyed my character. I enjoyed the story behind her. I was really, really excited to see where things would go. And all of a sudden, she gets killed, right? Mm. And... Because I didn't know the guys very well, like we weren't yet friends. We were just sort of still just, you know, gaming together, um, as acquaintances. It was really awkward for me because I was like, I, you know, I, I just sort of started packing up my dice and I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I gotta admit, I, I, I almost shed a tear. I was like, I was so invested in that character. I was really, you know, I was like, gosh, man, this really sucks. And, uh, you know, I was kind of moping around a little bit and the the gm's like dude are, are you okay <laughs> and i'm like yeah i you know i i tried to be a good player and be like no no it's it's fine you know i i just you know i i need a moment here and uh that changed once once we did become friends once i did really have a lot more trust in that game master and, and a better understanding of of you know how the game and the campaign and, and the group you know went together uh the mm-hmm. next time i got killed was way more fun the next and and i i did only die twice uh in that game but yeah the next time i got killed i was like okay yeah i you know because the trust was there right the the uh the bond was there that's all i'm saying about that
3: that's definitely uh an issue i mean like i can understand that especially in an awkward situation where you don't know the people very well unlike a convention game where everyone's there to have a good time and you know that the that the story is gonna be four hours long and then it's gonna be done, and you're never gonna play that character again, and possibly you may never play with those people again. It's definitely a different mindset than um, you know, like my my LARP my first LARP character that passed that you know, that permanently died, you know, I'd been playing the same character for ten years. Wow. Like once a month up in the mountains with my friends, pump beating on your friends with foam covered plumbing is definitely what I would consider stress relief. Um, but it's when that character that I've been playing for 10 years passed away permanently, you know, I drew the black bead from the bag as they call from the system and was permanently gone. I didn't know what to do at that point. You know, you, we were, we were six hours into a weekend long, uh, LARP in the mountains and my character just died permanently. And it was, it was extremely emotional. Especially when all of my in-game friends decided that they were going to hold a funeral for the character. And they let me, as a ghost, quote-unquote, you know, because when you, you know, in the system, you if you wear a white headband, you're not there, you, nobody interacts with you. But they let me go and watch the ceremony that they did. And it was just extremely emotional, extremely awesome. But it did take, like, me sitting there for an hour going, holy crap, now I don't know what to do. My character's dead. The same character I've been playing for ten years.
2: What about you, Daryl or Nathan? You guys wanna jump in with anything? Um, well, I've you know, obviously have having not played as frequently as I've GM'd, I've got a lot fewer character yeah, you know, individual character experiences over the years to draw from. But I think the the first and most the, the most memorable character death I've had was actually my decision. Rather than you know, it's a, a character in a, a campaign that ended up running for six nearly seven years. Yeah, you know a fantasy setting loosely based on advanced fighting fantasy we ended up blowing at black sound at one point uh the the character that I was playing so, you know gave his life to let the rest of the group escape an otherwise untenable situation you know this tiny little eccentric gnome alchemist who was dabbling in you know making uh, uh, making um potions in bread so because potion bottles were too fragile <laughs> <laughs> Never got to finish his research, never got to carry on with the, the, the ideas, but you know, he just he, he'd been seriously injured by a misfiring firearm you know a few minutes before. got massive ogre-like anthropomorphised rhinos lumbering through you know, halberds and plate armor and natural horns and he lets the rest of the group escape while he brings out his alchemy kit one of them picks him up and he just meant he just looks at one of them pokes his glasses out and says be with you in a moment and then explodes <laughs>
1: was he was he all out of baguettes
2: <laughs> like i said hadn't had a chance to carry on with that research oh, so
1: now i want to play that guy <laughs> potions and bread that's awesome yeah uh, what, what do you think, Daryl, about trust and all that? Do you think that's... Uh, or I'm sorry, Nathan, did you have more? I'm sorry. Uh,
2: that w- that was it, but it was you know it it was a, a GM that I I played with a lot, and yeah, you know, I, I yeah I I trusted him not to you know, throw it up randomly, not to make the sacrifice meaningless because that's just yes. as important. If you're choosing to sacrifice a character, if you're choosing to let the character die, then yeah, it's almost as bad to have the character die for nothing. Oh, yes. yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, that that would take away an awful lot of the 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 awesomeness from it mm. if you end up meaning nothing in the end. Yeah, mm. good point. Very good point.
0: Yeah, that's something, something as a DM that I would make sure to do is if you do have a moment like that where a player chooses to sacrifice the character they've been playing for a long time in order to accomplish some goal, that's one of those cases which fudge the dice, screw the dice, they got away with it. It may, may they may not be able to get away clean, but the, if if my character sacrifices himself for the rest of the party, then the rest of the party should be able to at least get a second chance to escape.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, I agree with that a hundred percent.
0: And that goes back to that trust. You're, tr- you're. Whenever you're doing something like that, you're sacrificing your character. You are putting trust in whoever's running the game to take that sacrifice into account in the story. Ma- in this. St- uh, story sense and make sure that it gets reflected properly
1: very very good point so what else can we say about character death at this point i think we may have kind of gone uh, almost all the way through it
0: I, I actually had a question for you guys that kind of came up as we were talking uh, one and this is something that actually someone said to me earlier and it just popped into my head again but uh, when we were talking about character death's This came up actually when we were talking about uh, the new edition of D&D that just got announced recently, just before we recorded, where someone was talking about uh, video game death compared to role-playing game death, and how death in a video game in this point in time isn't... Oh crap! I've now got to start a over. Where's that long code that I wrote down from the old eight bit days? To <laughs> oh crap! I just have to go back to the neck to the last checkpoint and try this again. Well, and it's more of a it's not as big of a setback. This
1: guy's never played uh, Demon Souls.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the question <laughs> I had was: Do you guys think that with the younger generation coming in and starting to pick up role playing games, that that sort of expectation of death being just a minor setback? Is something that's going to affect tabletop games. And is it something we should be taking into account whenever we're running games for newer players?
3: I think it's probably going to be something that affects some of the players that are coming in on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's something that, like, the industry as a whole needs to worry about for, uh, you know, changing systems so that they're more, you know, kinder and friendlier or at least resettable. I don't think that's, that's that much of an issue, in my opinion. It also depends on the setting, though.
2: I think that that's the kind of situation where having a, a, a kind of state of down but not out. You know, D&D 4 is a, a good example of that, where there's a significant gap between the point where you're down and not able to continue fighting and the point where you're dead. There's a big gap between that, uh, between those two states. So you can be taken out of the fight, and someone's got to come along and bring you back into it, but you're not actually dead.
1: Well, you know, that's actually a really great point, and I want to address that because to me, like, okay, from a mechanical sense point of view, from a, from a versamilitude point of view, right, it it comes to question of is this a thing that is known in the world? Is this very obvious that you're alive or dead when you're down at that mm-hmm. point? Because it's important to me, and, and I'll tell you why. I was playing in a game where a lot of us did get killed, actually the one I just got done talking about. And the, and the GM was very cl- clear on this. He said, you know, if uh, if you have, if you are in negative hit points but not dead, monsters know that. They're not just going to ignore you when you're between minus one to minus to zero. They're going to coup de grace you because they don't want you getting back up, right? And this was his particular style, which I really got into and I dug it. I I, I like that style. Uh, And it it rubbed me the wrong way when I played in another guys' group where we ran into, like, some guardian skeletons of this wizard's tower, who by all rights, you know, should be pretty, you know, implacable. You know, I I just had this image in my head of, like, a relentless, you know, guy who was going to try and kill me. And the DM, like, specifically, as soon as somebody went to minus one, those skeletons would pick a different target.
0: That's actually how I run mine, depending on the situation, is... I don't go after characters that are fallen, but I don't do it for a, a fluffy bunny reason. It's because it makes sense to me in that, okay, this guy's down. He's going to, he's out. I don't know if he's dead or alive. I don't have time to check if he's breathing or check his pulse, but this other guy over here still has a sword and he's standing up. I'm going after that guy, unless it's a... Very intelligent NPC or something or someone who would be able to tell, like a cleric or something like that. I might do it differently, but, but and I'm not it, saying it depends on the enemy. I'm wrong. I'm not to. saying
1: either way is right or wrong. I'm just pointing out that these were these mm-hmm. were different approaches.
0: Yeah, and f- for the record, in a lot of the rule books, they will uh for fourth edition D and D they'll actually they've actually explained most monsters won't do a coup de gras for kind of the reasons I was talking about. They're more focused on the the. Yeah. Immediate threats than the ones that are on the ground.
1: It certainly changes the way I approach a fight <laughs> in both. Of this yeah, yeah, I, 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 I very differently.
3: I can definitely see how it would. You know, that kind of information is something that on a on a social contract level, the the player and the game master, the players and the game master, need to know and be clear about ahead of time to make sure that you know they 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 understand that okay, in this situation basically I'm in a lot of trouble or in this situation, right. well, at least he's going to move on to another target.
1: And, and like what what Daryl was saying about the monster just like, oh, there's another immediate threat. Yeah, I I can totally see that if it's a thinking sentient being, right? <clears throat> but But I was trying to imagine a wizard protecting his tower with these, you know, skeletons and what the orders he would give those skeletons would be. And in my head, the, the orders he would give is kill intruders, not seriously injure them until they fall over.
2: You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you get, you might get a similar situation with yeah you know, monsters that are you know, ravenously hungry up, that are you know, going to They're going to carry on biting and clawing at you because they're trying to eat you. And just because you've, and because you've stopped moving, that just makes it easier for them.
0: Yeah, I made clear with that whenever I threw ghouls into a fourth edition game. Yeah, <laughs> these guys are going to go for you when you when you drop. Yeah.
1: But anyway like I say it has to do it has to do with mechanics and verisimilitude mm. and whether or not those things are you know known in the world like like if it's not obvious if, if if you could say as a GM for example and some books may even explain this that when you're at minus one to zero it's indistinguishable from being dead you know it may be
2: it's something that comes across uh, in a number of computer games actually though i the the Gears of war series on um the Xbox three sixty all had a similar kind of down but not out situation. You'd be down, you could crawl around, you're bleeding out. You've done your, only a limited time before you can before you're just outright dead. But there's a chance for your teammates to come and revive you. But there's also a chance for your enemies to come and stomp on your face. <laughs> and it becomes an extra level of consideration, an extra level of the game to try and help the your teammates that are injured the teammates that are you know sprawled on the floor and can't and can't defend themselves as well as be providing that extra gap between i can't fight anymore and i'm dead and i can't play anymore
1: well uh, i think i think my takeaway from all this is that there's just a way there's a lot of different ways to have fun with uh with gaming and some of them involve you know death being an important risk and some of them involve death being just sort of a a stop on the way uh, to the next, you know, encounter.
3: It really does on a case-by-case basis, depending on the game that's being run, the genre that it's in, the players that you, and whether they know, and like you said, trust the game master, um, and whether he knows them or not. And all of that makes a huge difference on how death is going to be, character death is going to be approached in, in, in an individual game.
0: I actually wanted to ask some advice from you guys, especially from Ross, because he's been taking the pro-killing characters. <laughs> so <that's a> lot. <laughs> but it, it, here's the thing. I am, a, in many ways, a cream puff when it comes to that. I'll go out and say, I'm a wuss as a DM. I don't like killing characters, if I can at all help it, unless they bring it upon themselves. If they just do something completely stupid, yeah, you, you did it yourself. But I also kind of want to run some of these old school. I've been looking through... uh a while back on uh, D&D Classics, they had the Temple of Elemental Evil for free, so I got that PDF, and I've been going through it, and I've been trying to convert it to next, and now that the new edition's finally going to be coming out, I want to run this, except for I cannot be that kind of DM and run the Temple of Elemental Evil. If I am that kind of DM, <laughs> I'm not really running the module. Hey, right.
1: hey, hey, Daryl? Yes? I stick my head in the demon's mouth.
3: What happens?
0: Oh, that one I did. Th- that, that's that's pr- two that, two Horrors. Yeah, I, I ran a Tomb of Horrors, and I managed to get a group of people who had never heard of it before to jump in the demon's mouth three times. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, can, I can see getting the whole party to do it once, but getting the whole party to do it three times, that's impressive. That really is.
0: It was, it, was, it was a different one each time, and none of them ever knew what happened to the, to the ones that went away. Maybe they this thought, time like, it'll I'm work. Tele- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I like, thought maybe, okay, if I jump through this time, I'm going to end up in that room where they're at. So <laughs> that's kind of what happened. But
3: What about the head of Vecna? <laughs> oh. I love that story. <laughs> love that story.
2: Nathan are you familiar with the head of Vecna story I'm not familiar with it but I know where it's
0: going okay (laughs) someone please tell this story I'm not capable Lee why don't you uh, do the honors
3: (sighs) okay so uh, apparently there was a game master who had two different groups uh, that were playing uh, under him and one PC group decided that they wanted to take out the other group so they came up with this idea you know what the hand of Vecna and the eye of Vecna are right Nathan
2: Yes. You know, yeah. and
3: you, you only gain the power from them by removing your hand and attaching the hand or removing your yeah, eye and attaching yep. the eye. Well, this group found that they, uh, so they, they started spreading this rumor that the head of Vecna was in a, uh, local dungeon that was in the area somewhere. And they started spreading the rumor. Well, they didn't tell the druid in their party. So the druid, wanting to feel more important for the rest of the party, goes on this quest by himself and finds the head of Vecna, takes it out into the wood, manages to summon an animal and have it decapitate his head, basically bite his head off. (laughs) And then he, he
1: reasons that if he puts Vecna's head on his neck it,
3: exactly it's just like the hand of Vecna so the the whole the whole team goes whoops and uh so they they reset the whole thing uh they they reset all the traps that they set and everything like that they actually realized oh wait this head that we're using doesn't doesn't have a missing eye and Vecna's missing an eye. So they pop the eye out, they reset the whole thing, and then eventually the other group goes in and they get into a big fight about who's going to be the person who gets their head removed, and it <laughs> ends up killing like half the party amongst themselves, you know. Only who's to find be the out the first
1: one to put the head of Vecna on.
3: Exactly. Only to find out that uh, <laughs> that the entire thing was set up by the other group of PCs as a trap for them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that's a classic story. I love that one. But the reason why I brought up my, you know, Cream Puff DM style is I'm wanting to run these old school adventures, but I'm kinda of squeamish about killing off characters because I'm used to these really story and narrative driven games. What advice would you guys give me if I want to get a if I want to get over that?
1: I would definitely say discuss it with the group, you know, and just say kinda of tell tell them what you told us. I want to run a game in this particular style. You know,
3: yeah, that's you know the definitely you definitely want to talk talked about talk about it with your players, especially if they're used to your gaming style, and you're going to change it up on them, um, or you know run a couple of sessions of paranoia and let them kill each other off and get used to the fact that characters <laughs> die. <laughs> <laughs> then <laughs> then you can start running and a- and adding in character death. The
2: other thing I want to just once you are actually in the game is. Encourage them to recruit, yeah, you know, NPCs. Have yeah, you know, have them with, have them with NPCs around because the NPCs a provide you with the opportunity <laughs> to redshirt them to prove how dangerous the situation is. B and, and B, and B <laughs> provide you with a ready supply of backup characters in case the main ones die. <laughs> a, a running hackmaster. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, actually encourages players to hire henchmen mm. so that you do have a backup uh, first-level character to bring in if, the, they're, they're if your, your primary dies. <laughs> yep, you can exactly. spend money on training them and stuff. And you can name them Norbert. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Black Lotus the 15th. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So basically your advice is to get over it.
1: So I think we're just about done with the topic of the night, so we're just going to Ask you guys for like a, a couple sentences as a final thoughts and then we'll, uh, let you talk about your, your latest things. Um, Daryl, what are your final thoughts on character death?
0: Well, like I said, it really depends on the tone of the game, what you're trying to do. If it can be fun to play, I know for a fact it can be fun to play in type of games where your characters are dying completely, but you have to be aware that it's going to happen and you have to be prepared for it. And it has to be the type of game where the story evolves from the actions rather than be a narrative story. It's kind of hard to keep a cohesive narrative of these, like a TV show or something like that. The car- you don't replace an entire cast on a TV show every single week unless you're Game of Thrones.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then you only replace
0: half of them, so. Or, or, you, or you recast the mountain four times.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Nathan, what are your final thoughts on character death? I
2: think so long as everyone's on the same page regarding how deadly a campaign is, how likely death is, and what situations is going to cause it when you go into the game, there's no problem with any particular approach. Just so long as everybody knows what that yeah what the expectation is. Yeah, you don't That's want good. you don't want someone wandering into a. Um, into a superhero game and expecting, um, expecting Watchmen instead of, uh, super friends. <laughs> cause, cause both
1: of those styles of game can be fun. All right. Absolutely. And this is
0: a reminder for me. It's a link to the robot chicken episode where they have the funeral for the comic book characters on a recent episode. <laughs> yes. And it's, and the guy just stands up and is like, why are we doing this? I've come back five times. Yeah. Yeah. Robot chicken
1: is awesome. Yes. Um, Lee,
0: what are your final
4: thoughts?
3: Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just dependent on the game master, the players, their social contract and, and the game itself. You know, if you're playing something along the lines of Hackmaster or, you know, DCC or even, uh, Paranoia, you know, death is something that, that, that's to be expected. And if your players don't anticipate that and they think that it's going to be, you know, the, the four color, you know, or fantasy with uh, resurrection spells, you know, being common. It's just a matter of that social contract. Everything in gaming pretty much comes down to the social contract. Understanding what everyone is supposed to be doing and where they're supposed to be socially. And... Well, you know, one
1: thing we didn't actually go into was like the social consequences of character death. Because there, there's a lot of. I mean, that's a that's a volatile thing, man. That you know, that can that can oh, break yeah. up a character. That can break up a group. That could cause someone to just walk out.
3: Especially you know, if it's player-on-player-created. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because yeah, I've, I've,
3: I've had a couple of game groups break up because, you know, one player gets pissed off at another player outside a game, and kills so they do everything, kills their <laughs> character in, the, in their sleep, and then it ah. just starts a cascading downward, downward spiral that ends up breaking the game up within a session or two. I was I'm my, Star Wars my example next character
1: the Anti Brian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sorry, would you say there was Nathan? my Star Wars example earlier? Yeah, and the group that just self-destructed.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a volatile thing. So from a social point of view, I think that's something we all should also keep in mind. Yes. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you.
3: No, it's quite all right. It's uh, you know it's. It, it all, it all comes down to that understanding and trust between the player, the players in there and the game master. You know, cause they, and to be honest with you, the game master is a player too, because, so you just need to understand that, that it's the players understanding how things are going to be and what's expected for that campaign before you even start with your first session.
1: As for me, I, I, uh, I happen to be the type of GM where I am perfectly fine if, if people think that I am not a killer GM. If, if they say that, well, we know we're gonna play with Ross and that means we're probably gonna live throughout, through, through the campaign, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> that being said, I definitely understand the appeal of games where death is random and can come at any time. I understand the appeal of games where death where death doesn't ha- doesn't even need to happen. I understand the appeal of games where you you just have some kind of uh, meaningful risk, like Nathan was talking about, and and I'm I'm fine with that too. I I like the idea of a meaningful risk because to me that's what that's a really important part of like the character's arc and in, in the character story. Um, but coming from a background of playing an awful lot of convention games, you know sometimes I don't even even need that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sometimes I don't even need that.
3: And, and being a being a game master for. Um more or less mostly game mastering at conventions. I'm not afraid to kill path. I had a TPK at uh Genghis Khan a couple of years ago in a necessary evil game. When I realized, didn't realize that, uh, that having a bunch of wild card NPCs, plus a group of minion drones that shot big lasers at the party was going to be that much of a consequence, but you know, it happens.
1: You know, I had a group, I was running through Pathfinder very recently and, um, I set up a situation where it was very obvious that the, what, what was supposed to happen is they were supposed to run away right like i had the, the the spirit guide that had been telling them about their adventure he showed up and he's like it's time for you to run and you know I was holding off the bad guys and i was explaining how they were building up more and more forces and it was just going to escalate larger and larger you know i was building up this 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 main thing that they were supposed to run away from and i say supposed to because they didn't of course they did you know and for- to their credit they almost won uh, yeah. they went back and they fought some werewolves and, you know, they didn't have the silver weapons, So they, <laughs> they didn't win, but they came <laughs> really close. Uh, they almost won. And, uh, I, I had to stop for a second. I said, um, guys, I think, you know, t- t- to me, what makes the most sense here is a TPK. And everybody agreed that that was what made the most sense. Um, mm-hmm. but I went home and I thought about it and I thought about, it. I was like, you know, what would be cooler though, is if they took them captive mm-hmm. because yes, The werewolves want more werewolves, and there's no reason why, you know, I couldn't say, well, we're keeping you alive only so we can turn you chaotic evil and turn you into a lycanthrope so that we will grow more powerful. I mean, that makes – that stands to reason too, right? So having thought about it overnight, I came back the next day, and I said, okay, guys, here's what happens. You wake up in a in a cage, and the bad guy explained why, you know, he he didn't just kill them because they had (laughs) nearly won, you know, and he wants guys that strong on his side right? Yep. And 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 actually it worked out. We all, it, it was a it was a twist in the story that everybody enjoyed. There was still a consequence. They lost all of their gold and magic items that they'd built. <laughs> up. Like I I specifically took the the silver sword that they'd found, the silver magic sword that they'd spent like the whole last adventure getting, I specifically took it, like broke it right in front of them. I was like, here's your, and <laughs> oh, I was making it clear. This is your consequence for this. dying. You know, quote unquote is, you know, you lose this. Uh um, I'd
0: almost rather have died. Well, it was just, you know,
1: <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a concept kill because the magic sword wasn't part of their concept. It was something they'd found, but it was a consequence, you know, and I felt like everybody won in that instance.
0: And I will say, I, I got another story. I, I, I am the green puff team unless it comes to, you know, I run Tipple of Elemental, uh, excuse me, I run Tomb of Horrors, I'm expecting to trash character sheets. I run Paranoia, I'm trashing characters. That's just the territory with those. You know that going in. Everyone does. It's kind of the point. If, if you don't, time... you need
3: to read the cover of the book before you, uh the back cover yeah. of the book before you play.
0: <laughs> yeah. But there was one time where I was in a campaign there was a long, ongoing story, big, huge story arc where I had no problems whatsoever with killing this one guy. Because, here's what they did. You walk into a 30 foot by 30 foot room. Three feet off the ground and every five feet across in this room are little holes that are about three inches by three inches. The door behind you locks. It is five foot by five foot tiles on the floor. And there's a door directly across me. There's nothing else in the room. I could not have... Made it more obvious if I put a neon sign in the middle of the room that said, this is a trap. <laughs> so, this this one goes, okay, I'm going to start investigating the holes. I'm going to investigate this. And one guy goes, I'm bored. I'm going to see what's in the next room. <laughs> and opens the door and crossbows. Crisscross. I had no problems whatsoever killing someone that stupid.
3: I've got a similar story. I was running a role master of all things, you know, three hours to make a character first combat. It dies. Um, and a friend <laughs> of mine, a friend of mine was playing this barbarian type character. I think he was a greater orc and uh, he, uh, the, you know, they assault this or this uh, tower that has these creatures in it and they're humanoid creatures. And so he, they, bust in the door. They see stairs going down into the basement. The rest of the tower is ruined, so he charges down the basement. He sees a door at the end of the hall. He lets out a battle cry, throws his two-handed axe down the hall, burying it into the door, runs up, rips it out, kicks the door open, and took a crossbow bolt to the left eye. No problems with that at all.
1: <laughs> Alright, well, uh, the Imperial Guard is stopping by, and Mac, the bartender, is uh, giving me that look that says it's time to wrap things up. So, uh, Mr. Dowdell, why don't you tell us uh, all about your latest thing and where we can find out more about you on the interwebs?
2: Right. Uh, I am at present working on the third edition of Mutant Chronicles. Which is awesome. i nice. am uh, brought on fairly recently and uh, churning out words like there's no tomorrow. You know, fleshing out and cleaning up and expanding on the background of a game that hasn't really seen the light in. Twenty odd years. Um,
0: because it wasn't that long ago, you guys kickstarted that. Yes, right? I yeah. still have all of my original books. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Kickstarter was colossally successful, uh, and it ended up on something like ten to fifteen times the initial uh, requ- the initial uh, amount uh, that was asked for. Uh, basically, enough to fund the entire product line. It's shaping up really nicely. We've got a closed beta going on at the moment. There's an open beta available for free uh, through DriveThruRPG. Uh, it's a slightly older version of the rules, but not that much has changed uh, since it was put up there. And it's a really good advent- really fun adventure to introduce people new to the setting.
1: Don't you have some uh, 40k stuff also coming out?
2: Uh, or I'm, recently? No, not. I haven't actually done anything for 40k in a couple of years. Last thing I did for 40k was. Um, Ark of Lost Souls and uh, Hammer of the Emperor. Ah, Hammer of the Emperor. Well, we worked on that one together mm-hmm. actually. So, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get as much done on that one as I uh, would have liked, but uh, all came at a rather awkward time. I, all I'll say is it's a
1: it's a damn shame that they don't have you doing more 40k stuff because uh, you're really good <laughs> at it. <laughs>
2: but uh, yeah, Mutant Chronicles has got my attention at the moment, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it as it develops. Awesome. We've got a lot of good people working on it. Do you have a personal website? Um, I did do. Unfortunately, uh, it's not up at the moment. Uh, I haven't. I've changed computers a couple of times since then. I haven't got the original files available. I'm All still right. working on getting it back up and running. Where can we find Mutant Chronicles? Though? Mutant Chronicles can be found uh, on. Uh, well, it can be found through the uh, Modifius website. It's the company that's uh, running it. Okay. Uh, they've got information on that on it on you know, through their Kickstarter and. I also have a Twitter feed and a Facebook page, as basically everybody does these days. Now, before you were
1: a dealer of cards, and before you were a writer of game stuff, were you not also responsible for some fairly high security stuff for Her Majesty's
2: government? Yes, for a <laughs> for a number of years. Um, and it's about six and a half years in, uh, in all. I. Uh, I built nuclear weapons for a living. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I
1: knew I needed to get him to say that on the air.
0: <laughs> well I that did not. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, wow. I, I I'm
1: sorry to ambush you like no, that. No, no, that's fine. fine. I that's fine. It's the to...
0: second second person that's been on the podcast that probably has a higher security clearance than I do. <laughs>
1: All right, so uh Lee, what's your latest thing, and where can we find out about you
3: um well uh, I don't have a personal web page yet, but uh gabbo's Forge games will be coming up uh as a uh as my projects progress i'm very close to finishing up the last bit that I need to send to uh, Pinnacle Games for approval for a uh, license to do Savage Worlds projects, and I'm in negotiations with another company to reproduce their D20 um, setting into a uh, Savage Worlds setting, um, but that's still uh, on the down low a little bit, hush-hush. So other than that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, and it is at Punisher War is my uh, Twitter feed. Otherwise, you can find me on Facebook under my name. So, super cool. Well, oh, and I of- will be at Gen Con running Amp Year One for Third Eye Games. Uh, as that will be launching there, and I was one of the primary play testers for the system.
1: Nice. I, uh, you know, before we go to the end, I do want to also point out. Um, I actually have some 40k news. Uh, for Ooh. the listeners. Oh, yeah. Um, uh. tell us about that, Ross. First of all, uh, Shield of Humanity, which is the uh, only war book I worked on, is now out. It's on shelves. You may see it. Um, I'm excited about Shield of Humanity. It was pretty awesome. It's probably the last, it's most likely the last thing I'll, uh, I've ever worked on for the RPG. Uh, uh it, it, like Nathan, I, uh, I think, um, that might be the last thing I've worked on in a couple of years uh, for the RPG, but it's pretty awesome. Um, and what I have been working on also is a thing called Regicide. Regicide is a Warhammer 40k uh, chess-based game. Uh, I like to say it's um, basically turn-based strategy with a chess-like engine. So don't think, don't think to, uh, of it as just battle chess. It's, it's going to be way more awesome than that.
0: And so I think you said before the show, compared it to XCOM. Yeah,
1: a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not obviously not as, as, uh, freeform as XCOM because there is a chess base to it. And people who enjoy chess and who enjoy turn based strategy and who enjoy 40k are going to like all of it. I am actually the lead writer. So I'm doing the, uh, the story on it and, and the characters. And it's going to be, uh, the fr- single player campaign is all about the blood angels. So I think, uh, Huh. 40k fans will really enjoy that
0: and definitely check, check out the trailer we've got it uh, linked in the show that's notes. right uh, Ross wrote the dialogue on that and it is impressive
1: it's uh, Warhammer40kchess.com I think
0: I, I am looking
3: forward to that
1: yeah Warhammer40kchess.com I think is the uh, the uh, the website for that so cool all right Um, on behalf of Daryl and myself we want to say uh, thank you very much for being on the show with us tonight Nathan Lee
3: no, no problem it's anytime <laughs>
1: It was a real pleasure. We'll have to have you guys back on uh, in the future. Would love to. Yep. Alright, In in the meantime, uh, try not to have your characters get killed.
0: And for the record, if well- your character does die, in my opinion, it is okay to cry.
3: <laughs> Unfortunately, since I GM and don't actually get to play very often, most of my characters die because they're NPCs. <laughs>
2: Aww. <laughs> I don't feel well, sad for NPCs. Given that I'm playtesting Mutant Chronicles at the moment, most of my NPCs are undead anyway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, Good point. Very good Very point, good. sir.
1: All right. Well, until next time, uh, thank you guys again, and uh, may all your hits be crits. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out It*. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy Accursed.
0: that about wraps things up for this week. Uh, we only had one comment since the last episode and yeah, that's kind of going to happen when I clear out the queue, like I did last week. And then I'm recording this before I'm done editing the episode. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we got a comment from Crichton Brown on Facebook who said, you guys ever think of making it up to Denton for ReaperCon? Even if you don't just coming to the store is cool to see the figures gallery in the back. Now, I absolutely love Reaper. They make really high-quality minis, and they just look amazing, great sculpts and everything, but I don't think I own a single one of their products because you have to paint them, and I can't paint. I've got some kind of mental block. I just cannot paint miniatures. I don't know why. Uh, oh, oh, wait, no, that, that is a lie. That is a lie. I do own one thing. Uh, I've got an Illithid figure. You know, it looks like a Mind Flayer, but it's not a Mind Flayer because that would be trademark violation, but uh, it's an Illithid uh, that they had in part of their pre-paint line that they had for going for a while. So I've got one of those. And like I said, they're amazing things. I just can't paint. I'll buy a crapload of them if someone wants to paint them for me. But I, I can't play with unpainted minis, and I can't paint myself, so I don't get a lot of Reaper stuff. However, if it is something you're interested in, check them out. Their Bones line is great, amazing sculpts, really affordable. Um, as far as the convention itself... I'm most likely not going to be able to go at least this year because I'm out of pocket on every convention I go to. Uh, I have to pay for everything when I go to these conventions, and right now I am just laser focused on Gen Con. Uh, my I'm making sure my finances work out for that, and come hell or high water, I'm going to make it to Gen Con. Anything else before that, I can't do financially. Anything after that. I'm worrying about that after Gen Con. But as uh, soon as that's over with, I'm going to start looking at some other cons and start checking out the finances for that. But uh, Ross, on the other hand, if you'd like to get him out there, the best way, if you have a local gaming convention you want to get Ross to it, Email the convention organizers and tell them you would like Ross there as a guest. Send them to his website, TheRossWatson.com, and have him check out his resume. He's an amazing guest, great at panels, great at running games. Definitely, if you want to get him at a convention, that's the best way to do it. Get the convention to invite him as a guest. So, you know, speaking of Ross, I'd like to once again remind you about his GoFundMe for him, Sean Patrick Fannin, and Corinne Seabold, so they can move to what's kind of becoming a gaming mech. You know, uh, Brian Patterson from uh, the D20 Monkey, he's also moving out to Denver as well recently, plus all the game stores and gamers and conventions they have already had there. uh, It's turning into kind of a thing now, but uh, if you want to help them on their move to Denver and get some great rewards for yourself in the process, check them out at gofundme.com slash big Denver adventure. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or visit our website at GamersTavern.org. There you can read blog posts, comment on our episodes, and check out our store and visit our sponsors. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license. Music for One Degree of Separation is copyright Nick Jaroszki, all rights reserved, used with permission. Music for Accursed is Artemis by Asma Deva, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 license. Until next time, the tavern is closed.